This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe and close personal friend of the show, Sam Sheehan. Go Nucks. How you doing, man? Go Nucks. That's all I got to say right now. They're playing right now, but I know they don't need me. They're, they're doing great. Thrilled for the boys. Thrilled for you. We are recording this Wednesday evening after the Boston Celtics romped over the Philadelphia 76ers. I should probably have the stats up here because I don't know what the final score was. I think it was 128-101, if I remember correctly. As uh, we used to say in my middle school morning announcements, too much to not enough when we would uh, lose very badly. It happened a lot. <laughs> the Celtics did indeed win um, by a lot to not very much, uh, 128 to 101. Big performances up and down the stat sheet, obviously. Jason Tatum, 33 points on 20 shots. Jalen Brown, 20 points on 13 shots. Throw it out to you guys. Biggest takeaways, I mean, obviously, dominant win. What, uh, what, what in particular stood out to you guys? Something I kept thinking of, like, when I was watching the game, because I think everyone was a little nervous with Gordon Hayward, the, obviously the injury last game. Like, Gordon's been worked back into the rotation enough now, and this is a different enough team from previous times when he's been out that I think it was up in the air what the team might look like, especially where, you know, we've had the bench has been hit or miss and stuff like that. And I think my big takeaway was Jason Tatum is really really become that guy. Like, I think everybody knew that, but, like, the Sixers have no answer for him. And they've got, like, good defenders. Like, Matisse Thibel blocked him from behind at one point, but it just doesn't matter. Like, I know he's been good this whole time, and he's obviously very strong in some of the other big playoff performances the Celtics have had, but it's pretty jarring to see him do this at the top of a scouting report in the playoffs and still make it look so easy. I mean, he was plus 29 tonight. It, he really stuck his hand in and ripped the heart out. Yeah, and I think the thing that, that's been most impressive to me is that, you know, obviously his first season he was basically like just like a really, really talented spot-up three-point shooter. Like that was kind of like what he was for the first part of the season. And, you know, he kind of started creating a little bit more. But like what he's doing now is creating so much of this offense, whether it's out of the pick and roll, whether it's just like ISOed against Thibel or whatever. Like these are shots that he is always going to be able to get because he's making them for himself or he's making them coming off a screen. And like like it's just basically no questions asked at this point that he is a superstar that he is you know a top 15 player Tatum is that guy like he is everything the Celtics needed him to be having that guy in the playoffs especially when that guy is a wing player who can create is just so important I don't know what else to say at this point like I'm so impressed by Jason Tatum before he's been around players that were considered better than him every other point in his career you know with Kyrie Irving on the team and stuff like that 
even when the Celtics had their playoff run without Kyrie, you know, that felt like the hospital Celtics were more of a joint effort. You know what I'm saying? Where everyone was just kind of like looking around going like, whoa, like what? this feels much more like a, a very standard superstar performance, yeah. like a good team with a top player. Like he looks like a top player on a championship team. And that's, that's a big, that's actually kind of a huge difference from where he's been. Well, I think the thing that's fascinating is it is where he was in like February, March. And I, a couple of times, like, you know, not on the podcast and certainly not on MassLive.com, um, voiced like a question about like, okay, like basically we've seen Jason Tatum be a superstar for like a month and a half. Are we sure that like that wasn't just like a super hot streak? And like, not that he's not going to be a star down the road, but just like, are we sure that he's this guy? And then like, you know, the first game of the bubble, like, you know, he's two for 18 or whatever. And I was like, you know, ever since then, it's been like, oh yeah, no, he's this guy. <laughs> February, March was real. And, and here we are. So, I mean, feels like he's really cementing himself right now. Got nothing, Nicole? <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what else to say. Like, I we finally led with Jason Tatum, so I guess he was good enough for us to make him the first point. But, yeah, I mean, 12 three-point attempts I thought was notable. Yeah. Um, he's just taking more threes. His step back is just giving him so much separation. Like, that's his shot now. Yeah. Like you said, last time we barely mentioned Tatum. I truly have, like, little else to say about him. So do we want to get into, like, how bad the Sixers are? That was going to be kind of the next one. My goodness. As fun as this all is, it is kind of an interesting test of, like, how much is this is the Celtics are good and how much of this is the Sixers are bad. My biggest thing is, like, Brett Brown seems incapable, and I love Brett Brown. I love hearing from Brett Brown. But he seems, like, incapable of making any sort of, like, in-game adjustments. And I think this really shows, like, the difference between him and Brad is, like, Brad is doing all of these things game to game, like, quarter to quarter. Like, Brett Brown just makes these, like, bizarre decisions and then continues to stick with them. Like, to continue to have Embiid just not move up at all, like, near the perimeter and just, like, have him by the rim on defense. Like, Jason Tatum made eight of his 12 three-point attempts and... Brett, in his post-game press conference, admitted that, like, three or four of them were the result of that type of coverage with Embiid sticking by the basket. And then, Shemi Ojale made a three. And his Cantor made a three. (laughs) Robert Williams attempted a three. I mean, Embiid wasn't in the game at that point. Grant Williams made two threes. Everybody was making threes. Like they, and yet they Kemba, can't convince Daniel Tice to take one for some reason. <laughs> Kemba oh. said after the game, like, he's never had that much space. And, like, the fact that they haven't, like, adjusted that or, like, been like, oh, maybe this isn't a good idea or, like, maybe we shouldn't do this. And Embiid in his postgame comments today was like, we have to fix that. Like, I have to offer, like, some level of pressure because otherwise it's just way too easy for them. And then to just not run Ennis Cantor and like pick and roll is insane. Yeah. Especially when Ennis Cantor continues to be effective when they just are body to body and like in the post, it's like, okay, this isn't working. This works when Daniel Tice or like other centers on the court. So like, we'll do that. And then when Ennis is on, yes, Embiid made a series of mid-range jumpers, like great. Mm -hmm. But like, there seems like an easy solution to at least try. I brought that same point up on Twitter because that was kind of blowing me away that, you know, this is like the thing you're supposed to kind of scout for, right? Is like, where, where are the holes? Like, who can you attack? You go down the bench unit. Enos was plus 24. Brad was plus 28. Romeo was plus 26. Like everybody, like, like that run, that second quarter run at the beginning was what broke open the game because things like weren't going well. And I think to your point, Nicole, like the adjustments that weren't being made I mean, the Celtics shot, they took 43 threes tonight. I, I was kind of, I didn't realize that when I was watching the game because it was so fun. 
obviously 44% is not something that in a playoff game that's going to keep happening, but taking 43 threes, and I don't remember many of them being very bad except for maybe Marcus one or two times, like in transition, deciding he wanted to pull the trigger. So, well, and with, and with apologies to our, our buddy Danger Cart, Rob yeah. Williams three was bad too, but yeah, I don't know. It was, that, that's cool. <laughs> we love that. We, Rob's, Rob's allowed. It's fine. But I think, I think that's a perfect example though. Like, I, and I understand that the Sixers, you know, without Ben Simmons, there is limited ball handling. Um, but at the same time, what did you pay Tobias Harris for? That's the other thing that kind of blows me away is like how reliant they are on Shake Milton. It's, it's not a good situation for them. But I, I am a little blown away by how brutal that is, especially for a team that has the spacing issues that they have. There should be at least a little bit of a addition by subtraction benefit here by spacing the floor, but that's not really kind of been the case. Like they're not really finding the holes in the Celtics defense. The Celtics are not turning the ball over at all either. That's the other like yeah. insane thing. I think they only had like two turnovers through like the first yep. three quarters or something insane like that. And that's not something you want from you know, a, a team in the Sixers that are built specifically to be big. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're doing there. Yeah, the turnover story, the Celtics finished with six. Three of them were by Brad Wanamaker, who is obviously one of the lowest usage members on the team. Two of them were by Marcus Smart. Um, zero by the super high usage guys like Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown. Like, mm-hmm. like you're, you're not going to win many games when you don't force any turnovers from mm-hmm. those guys. You know, it's funny. I, I feel bad for Brett Brown because he's absolutely going to get fired after the season. Like, there's <laughs> absolutely no question. Like, they might as well just do it now and finish the series without a coach. But like, this is, I just don't think this is his fault. This mm-hmm. roster makes zero sense. It's brutal. I, I'm not saying he's, he's done like an amazing job with it by any stretch of the imagination, but like the position that he's been put in is obscene. Of the bubble teams right now, like in the playoffs, is Tobias Harris literally the most overpaid player? He's gotta be close, right? <laughs> like, if like, there not, can't be that many more players in the league that are more overpaid. I mean, I mean, the only other candidate I can think of, and uh, good Lord forgive me, is, is his teammate. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, I'm sorry, Al. I, I, it hurts, but uh, he's, Al does not look the same either. I don't, the body language, I, I will say what, what does seem to be Brett Brown's fault is they have a lot of quit in them. Like, they are, I don't see how they come back, especially like, you know, with, with COVID and everything, this is not a traditional series where you can kind of shake things up, getting back on your home court, you know, yeah. all due respect to the league's weird little, um, what, cyber fans or whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think turning those into Sixers fans is going to make a huge difference. <laughs> I think that's one of the interesting things, carte blanche across the playoffs is how, you know, home, everything essentially being a neutral field is going to affect series. Because now you don't have that that shot in the arm to get you back up going back home. But, boy, I just, with the body language and how bad everybody looks. I mean, Embiid looks totally defeated, and it's not really his fault. But No, I feel, absolutely. I feel, I feel kind of bad for him because, like, he's been playing great, but it's just it's so much you can do. I also felt bad for him. Like, when he sat down and just, like, was, like, wiping his face off, like, at the end of the game there, like, you just will not find a more dejected human I did think it was funny you said, like, those guys have a lot of quit in them. Uh, this was from Kemba Walker tonight. Next game is a really important game. These guys have no quit in them. They have one of the best players in the world, and there's other great talent. I was like, 
I don't know, Kemba. I just watched these guys. Yeah, I was gonna say, uncut, uh, Adam Sandler, uncut Jeb's voice. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. Yes. I disagree. Um, we've spent a lot of this season talking about how the Sixers kind of remind us of last year's Celtics in that, you know, obviously they were just kind of like dysfunctional. They don't really work together. Like there's just something kind of off. I feel like we're getting some real like Celtics Bucks vibes from the Sixers right now where like, you know, obviously the Celtics won the first game in that series and the Bucks just came back and just really hit them hard the next two games. And after like game two, you started, or after game three, I guess in that series, you started to really think to yourself, like, I don't know if the Celtics are coming back from this one. That's kind of where I feel this series is at right now, where you're like, okay, like you could talk yourself into like maybe like Joel Embiid has a monster night. Like maybe, you know, the Celtics don't shoot 44% on like 106 three-point attempts or whatever. Like maybe you can talk yourself into those things. But at the same time, like the Sixers team just doesn't have it. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is like, okay, maybe if Joel Embiid has a monster night, like he scored 34 tonight, maybe he could score like 48, but still like that's not really going to make up the difference there. Like they need the consistent production from people like not named Joel Embiid. I think where they maybe can find like some hope is that the Celtics bench probably isn't going to do this again. Otherwise, it it definitely seems like, I don't want to say a sweep, but like, I just don't see how the Sixers could win a game. I'll say it. It looks like <laughs> I guess I didn't understand how little – I knew they, like, didn't have guards, but they really have, like, no ball handling. I guess I didn't really understand what the impact of losing Jimmy Butler was. You know, Jimmy's got that Mark Wahlberg, like, insane schedule where he says he, like, wakes up at, like, 1 every morning. Right. Does, like, business calls. Is at the gym by – 2.30 in the morning, like, like staff are like, what, just want to like go home. <laughs> He's got a lock for him. Like, this is like all that stuff, but it's also like he, he gave you ball handling. He gave you perimeter defense against a guy like, uh, against a guy like Jason Tatum, you know, yeah. um, how effective that would be against this version of Jason Tatum. I... Probably more effective, at least. But then you well, look at well, at least at, he's stronger than Thibel, right? I mean, that 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 in itself would help. What I go back to, you know, we, we kind of alluded to this that with it not being Brett Brown's fault about what a bizarre roster this is and like where the decisions were made. I think one of the things that really sunk them was that extra Tobias Harris trade. Like they had Landry Shamit. Yeah, team. right. Like, exactly. Like, and he was kind of exactly what the doctor ordered. And you double down after you've already gotten Jimmy Butler. To get another guy who does the same stuff, but like worse, giving up picks and it's like you can buy like upgrade, you know, you can buy those guys like around the fringes, like some of the other stuff. There's just so many things like, boy, like Mikhail Bridges would be really nice right now. Yeah. Um, If you're the, if you were the 76ers. Too bad there's no pictures of him in a 76ers hat. You know, that would really (laughs) help kind of get things along for them, but. I, I think I think what what I just keep going back to is this is I think and Nicole brought this up is that this has got to be Tobias Harris has got to be the the guy here. I mean Al's never as much as I kind of want to make a little bit of fun because he pieced some Celtics that you know this isn't really Al's game to like take over a series when things are like falling apart. He's more of a like crisis manager, but this is this is Chernobyl. Like you need to <laughs> like you need more. Than that, and that's like what Tobias Harris. You're supposed to be that second, third superstar. I mean, you're you're getting the max. Like this is what you're here for for all this wing stuff, and he's just invisible. I don't even see him out there. I have no fear of him. To your point, defensively, this this would be this would be problematic. But like the Sixers clearly have defensive problems anyway because they can't stop the Celtics at all. Imagine how much better this team would be if they just hung on to Landry Shamit and like paid to keep JJ Redick. This team would have like in like so much more spacing. They'd be a little bit more coherent. I feel like offensively, like there would just be more options for Embiid to kick out to. Like 
the, the decisions that this front office has made kind of across the board have just been, and, and you know, I kind of get it because like, obviously Tobias Harris, like was like a borderline, almost all-star like at times in his career. Like I, I get that there's like some value in bringing in a guy like that. I get that they were trying to, you know, try something a little unique and build this like really large team that other teams would be uncomfortable playing against, but making mm-hmm. other teams uncomfortable is only, you know, so useful, I guess, because 82 games into the season, everybody's had a chance to scout you and everybody's had a chance to figure out how to beat you and I feel like that's where we're sitting right now well and I feel like they right now can't do either thing in terms of like stopping a run like they can't make shots and they can't get a stop so I just think once the Celtics get like a 10 point lead I just don't see how they even overcome that which normally an 8 to 10 point lead is like very manageable for the opponent especially in the playoffs but I just don't see how the Sixers can overcome a lead that small yeah, I had a, in my notes, I had like Grant Williams committed that foul on Furkan Korkmaz and like, you know, sent him to the line for three. And like Korkmaz could have put it down to like 15. And I started to write down in my notes, like that felt like a, a dumb foul because like maybe something, and then I like just crossed it out. I was like, this game is over. Like, I, I don't know why I'm like writing this down. Cause yeah, like there was no way the Sixers were going to overcome a 15 point deficit. There's just no way for them to do it. And the thing with Tyvel too is like, I do think that was actually the one adjustment that Brett made and that was yeah. probably the right decision, even though it didn't pan out. But it's like, yeah, he's stronger defensively, but he attempted two shots the entire game. Like that again is just not going to be enough. Negative yeah. 30, game low negative 30 for Matisse Tyvel. Probably not really his fault. Somebody's got to be on Jason Tatum, but. It'll be interesting because I don't, Thibel is such a good defender. Again, I don't, I don't think he's the type of defender who really gives Tatum problems. It feels like, you know, the type of defender who gives Tatum problems is more like the burlier forwards who can just kind of muscle him a little bit and Thibel's just not that guy. But I also kind of just don't see the player in the next two series who can do that to him. Like assuming the Celtics win this series, assuming they play Toronto, which, it, you know, obviously sure looks like that's going to be the case. Like I don't see the player on Toronto that can necessarily do that to him either. Like I, I think he's in a pretty good situation going forward here. I'm going to disagree. I think Jason Tatum should be scouting Joe Harris and, uh, you know, getting ready for that matchup when the Nets come into town. It's going to be tough to scout Joe Harris uh, since Joe Harris is not going to be around for a little bit here, oh. it sounds like. Oh, no, that's right. He left today. All right. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's why the Nets are down. You don't want to kind of, like, look ahead too early. I mean, two games. I mean, you know, the Celtics were down two games at home to the Bulls when home court actually mattered, like, a few years ago. So, like, but, boy, I, I just can't. It's kind of hard for me to not look ahead to Toronto. Like, they just look brutal. I don't know. I I, I don't really know how Brett Brown could steady the ship. He has no – he doesn't really have any options. Like, there's like a – M, M. Shayok, who I've never heard of, was the only one who didn't play today. Like, I don't know who you're who you're bringing out. Like, is Kylo Quinn, Raul Neto, Alec Burks, like – I do think I do think some of this, you know, we we've been kind of uh, going off on the Sixers, but I I, I think what, what's interesting is we're seeing all of these teams that came in looking bad in the bubble, and we kind of thought there'd be like a, a switch flip for the you know the bad teams and you know the good teams would start looking so good, and that really hasn't been the case. There's been momentum in the bubble. If you you know you're one of the teams that looks really good, like the Celtics, you you look like world beaters right now, and I think that you know a lot of that has to do with just how absolutely incredible Jalen Brown's been. Like, he seems like he made, like, kind of a mini leap since coming back to the bubble to me. Like, I I don't remember him being able to pass like this or being a better shooter than J.J. Redick, but apparently both of those are true. (laughs) So I'm I'm starting to – I don't want to jinx it, but I'm starting to have thoughts. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. 
I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm having some thoughts. <laughs> Wild thoughts. Just speculation. Clip this later and tell me how stupid I am. <laughs> Two weeks later, we have you on again to talk about how the Celtics combusted and uh, <laughs> lost to the Sixers in uh, six games. No idea Fred VanVleet would do that to us. <laughs> <laughs> But so for like games three and four, is there anything you can see? I feel like we all know the answer, but is there anything that you can envision the Sixers doing that like will make this a series? I mean, injuring six of the Celtics, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you just got to go full 80s. I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> just get suspended. I don't know. Have Mike Scott just, like, start getting rid of people. That's the only way. Well, you joke. And, like, I know Mike Scott is not, like, a strong defender, but, like, I, I mean, I would try some different things on Tatum. Like, I, I really would. Like, I know Thibel's like, like an awesome defender, especially around pick and rolls. But like, like you just haven't done anything that has done anything to slow Jason Tatum down. Like, so maybe try Mike Scott. Like, even if he ends up fouling him a bunch, just give him somebody who's who's like a grown man. You know what I mean? Like, just give him somebody who can muscle up or something. I mean, you, you really do have such limited options at this point. I, and I mean, a lot of the stuff too that like I wrote down from game one where I was like, oh, that's something they can adjust was like, okay, I think Embiid needs to go a little quicker because Embiid is like taking too long. It's giving the Celtics enough time to like decide whether they want to send a double. Have Embiid go a little quicker. First half, he was going super quick. Like every, every time he got the ball, he was just making like snap decisions and was getting a ton of buckets. And you know, and I, I thought that putting Cantor out there really helped with that. So like, I mean, I, I kind of don't because I just think the Celtics have an answer for everything that the Sixers can throw at them. I think the best thing that Brett, what I would try and do is Brett, and it probably wouldn't work, but you've got to try something. Is I would I would just overload every possession, throw doubles, like go back to the old like Jason Kidd model of like you know hyper aggressive defense, and just try and create turnovers because that's the only way yeah. you're going to do this. Get some of your long guys out there. You know, instead of having Thibault be a point of attack guy. I think that's kind of the problem with putting him on Tatum is that he's more of a, in Washington, Washington that's what he was. You know, he was yeah. like more of a free safety type of weak side defender who would, uh, you know, be able to intercept passes when they're trying to kick things to the, you know, the weak side of the floor or if you get somebody in actions or something like that. You know, having him right there at the point of attack every time Jason Tatum is swinging on the ball kind of robs him of that. And yeah, Nicole touched on this earlier, but just like dropping in B, it is clearly not working. Like yeah. you've got to, yeah, and I know you don't want to do this, so you know maybe you have Al out there, you know, more often. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you need you need someone mobile. You might need to go small, real small, like when when he's off the floor and just you know dare the Celtics to beat you. And I don't think anybody like besides Cantor on the roster can really punish you for going super small. So you know, just he's got to try weird things like that and just hope something works. I don't even know if any of that would work, but that's at least where you'd start. <laughs> And, you know, figuring out when, when, when you can start interviewing for the King's job. <laughs> we somehow managed to go the whole pod without really praising Ennis Cantor for his performance. I, I don't know gonna, if that's, I was going to bring that up. I was going to bring that up while you guys were like, while Nicole was like, I don't understand why they're not putting him in pick and roll. Like, <laughs> like after like the best game of his season. Well, was, why? Because he's so effective in yeah. the post. For sure. I thought Cantor was really good. Like, I thought he, like, offensively, obviously, he gives you a little bit here and there. He gives you some offensive rebounds. But, like, yeah, I mean, defensively, like, I, I thought that his defense on Embiid kind of changed the game because Embiid did start to settle for those mid-range jumpers, and he made a bunch of them. But, like, you're just not going to beat the Celtics with mid-range jumpers from Joel Embiid. Like, that just isn't going to happen. And that was the shot that Cantor forced him into. Like, 
I mean, I, I think that Friday the Celtics should start Cantor because, I mean, Tice played like 10 minutes. He can't handle Embiid. He, he's such a good defender, but Embiid is the one guy in the league that he just can't do anything about. So, yeah, I mean, I would just throw Cantor out there and see what happens. The Sixers have gotten off to great starts, so I feel like that's yeah. reflective of exactly <laughs> what you just said. Eliminate literally the last thing they have going for them, and you'll <laughs> probably be okay. Yeah, yeah. I've, no, I've been known um, to be slightly, very slightly critical of uh, Enos and <laughs> – uh, you know, I am a, I'm a strong Rob advocate, but I really do think this was like the best game of the, like, really, I think his best game of the year, um, to be honest, like he, he was very genuinely good. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with him not having to be in pick and roll, not having to suddenly adjust to the ball coming down the lane at him and, you know, having to rotate over and kind of protect things. But at the same time, he, he did what he needed to do, you know, like he was, he was in there mixing it up on the boards, you know, that was, that's another thing that like Philly, you know, where Philly should have an advantage is, you know, in the rebounding and what Celtics out rebounded them again tonight, 43 to 39. So, uh, I mean, this was quite a few of those. How many? Yeah. He had uh, nine, nine. Yeah. He was all, all, yeah. Nobody else had more than five. Like it's gotta be on the Sixers coaching staff to make Enos unplayable, but if they're not going to do that, and if they really don't have the ball handling for it and Shake Milton doesn't have the, you know, the creativity to make that happen and if Tobias Harris isn't going to do it, yeah, I mean, why not? Like, if you can get away with not exposing the one fatal flaw, like, Ennis is going to be very, very good. Definitely their best option against Embiid if there's no pick and roll. You guys can't even offer a full-throated endorsement of Ennis Cantor on this, the birthday of William Clinton. You guys should both be <laughs> ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He, it's a special uh, day, guys. He, All right. he, he very genuinely did a good job. And that's, that is such a, coming from me, I think that merits quite a bit of, <laughs> that's basically like, I'm, I'm announcing that I'm, uh, he, he's the godfather of my children now. So. <laughs> Very similar. I agree with all that. I mean, and I think this was the series that everybody talked about, like that they would probably need Ennis quite a bit during. And I think that they probably don't need him that much, like in terms of like pure need, like they probably would, would be fine without him, but he really, he seems to help a lot. I think they would win this series whether or not they had Cantor because I just don't think the Sixers are that good. But I think having Cantor is such such a luxury for them um, given all their other advantages. Just to finish up, a couple more things that I that I wanted to touch on. I thought two rookies, Grant and Romeo, both played really well tonight. Obviously, they were part of that bench unit that Brad was really praising. Um, Romeo, like, barely shot. He did make a three. His contributions were almost entirely defensive, and then he did try to dunk on everyone, which was ambitious. Uh, and then Grant, two for two from three. Anything else from, like, the second unit or, or the rookies that stood out to you guys? I can't tell if I'm just, like, I've got, like, the vapors or something like that. But, like, I I really think Romeo Langford it might be something special, like, very quietly. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't believe he's playing injured, and he's still such, like, an incredible defender. I think it's it's so rare to see a rookie defend the way he does. You know, he doesn't get a lot of minutes just because of how ridiculous the Celtics wing depth is and Brad Wanamaker needs to be in the rotation for ball handling purposes and, you know, because he's a rookie. But I, I kind of hammering home with Romeo playing real minutes and being a huge part of that comeback, the thing that really turned the game around, you know, just, just the impact, you know, like he – uh, you don't see rookies defend the way that he does. And the fact that the scouting report on him, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, you would probably know better than me, but I'm pretty sure the scouting report on him coming out of college before the thumb injury was that he was a scorer first and foremost. Am I, 
Am I wrong there? No, you're 100% right. The scouting report coming out of college was strange. Coming out of high school, the scouting report was that he didn't defend at all, but he was like, you know, this really smooth scorer who could get to the rim and who could finish mm-hmm. and on all this stuff. He still was able to finish and everything in college. He did have the torn ligament in his thumb, and he sort of showed that he has like more of an all-around game, kind of looked like a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type player coming out. You know, it, it was it was more that he was fine in college after being bad in high school. So everybody was like, okay, he'll, he probably won't be a negative defensively in the NBA. Certainly nobody saw this coming. Like, nobody saw him being, like, really a, an obvious positive defensively as a rookie. Especially now that he's put on, I, I was told he's put on, like, between 5 and 10 pounds of muscle, like, since the start of quarantine. Like, he's packed on some good weight. Too. And I think that's really helped him as well. Like, I think there's a lot of reason to be very hopeful about him going forward, especially given that he is kind of on that Jalen Brown rookie year track of like not playing a lot his first year, building him up, getting him ready, and then putting him in a lot more his second year. That was going to be the exact comp I was going to use was that I'm, I'm keeping an eye on Romeo. I thought him doing this injured in the playoffs being part of a unit that decisively turned the game around and basically strangled any Sixers comeback in the crib was a very positive sign and something like I'm going to be, I'm going to keep looking for. I'm in the playoffs. I think that's another deep tool in the Brad Stevens, you know, war chest when it comes to fixing problems that might come up against other teams like the Raptors. For sure. You guys got anything else that you wanted to touch on before we call it here? Go Nux. 1-1. We're good. 2-1. No. <laughs> All right. Will the Canucks back into this game? Yeah, yeah. We we got to let you go so you can go will the Canucks. All right. We're gonna leave it there. Thank you guys very much for listening to a podcast that does not call Javante Green Jamichael Green about a hundred times. Wait, did that happen? Yeah, on a a much much larger podcast platform than ours. I bet I did. Everybody for listening. Leave us a five star review. DM us with any suggestions and we will talk to you all again after game three.